Warning. The podcast you are about to experience may contain content that isn't suitable for younger audiences. So, if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to... Well, we've warned you. Welcome to Villainology, a podcast revolving around our favorite personifications of humanity's darker side, and what truly makes them the scourge of their respective worlds. I am your host, Rob Mobley, and I gotta be honest when I say that this podcast is providing such an ironically positive light in my life right now, especially with the recent news that Broadway will remain closed until halfway through 2021. Now, if any of you out there are performers and technicians, my heart is with you in these times. And if you have friends or family that are performers and technicians, send a little love their way. They could really use it because times are really uncertain in our field. For those of you that are new here, the basic idea is that I present each guest an opportunity to discuss at length someone who is widely considered to be a villain and to offer their own personal insight as to why they find them so intriguing. These opinions are totally subjective, and I find that hearing the thoughts of other people on someone you either love to hate or hate to love helps to better understand these characters as a whole. Our guest today is someone I met in the now times, which is interesting considering we actually haven't met in person before. Uh, we love a Zoom friendship. He has been cultivating a brand new interactive musical that I have had the pleasure of working on several times over the past few months called Off the Beaten Path. Uh, he's also a performer, a teacher, and Villainology's first international guest, Mr. Tory Doctor. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. I sound so cool. You sound fantastic. When... <laughs> That's great. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's, now, for our listeners that may be unfamiliar with Off the Beaten Path, how would you describe it? Oh, Off the Beaten Path is a multi-platform, choose-your-own-adventure-style fantasy musical that pays homage to all of the major fantasy franchises that preceded it. Everything from D&D &D to Skyrim, World of Warcraft, Wheel of Time, Lord of the Rings, and Game of Thrones and The Witcher. God, that's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, yeah, with all of those influences, what inspired the show's structure? I mean, why this interactive chassis over your more traditional musical frame? Well, I actually, I stumbled upon it by accident. When I was writing the show, I thought, I have so much material here. I figured it would be a really cool idea to make it, you know, a, uh, a choose-your-own-adventure style musical. And then as I was doing that, I realized that because I was paying homage to Skyrim and Dungeons and & Dragons and World of Warcraft, there's, there's always this level of intrigue that I, that I wanted. And I wanted to bring it to other platforms as well. So you could really immerse yourself in the world because I think that's what fantasy is. Absolutely. It's escapist, right? And it allows us to view the world from a safe distance with, a, with a, a, the, the filter of fantasy in front of reality, right? So um, I thought it would be really cool to, to bring that to the show, this idea of immersion. So we don't break the fourth wall. We don't acknowledge to the audience that they are an audience, really. We bend the fourth wall and include them in the show. And in doing that, I realized that it's not just in the show that we should be doing it, but it's in 
in the game and, and the, uh, and the supplemental information that you'll get from the game. And there's also this, um, this connectivity with the cast that you'll be able to talk to the cast in character as well. Which is so wild. Yeah. I don't want to break that. I don't want to break the illusion ever. Even on our website, opmusical.com uh, plug, uh, don't add plug in there. That's a plug. Never mind. Doesn't matter. The point is, even even in the you know, if you chat with someone, they will do it in character as one of the seers of Carsis. So uh, I, I even in that world, I didn't want to shatter the illusion that you're you're a, a part uh, of a world. The interface you've built for it. I mean, it's 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 fascinating stuff. And I, I mean, I've personally never seen this level of immersion from a musical before. Especially with the idea that, you know, these people can make characters a la, like, RuneScape or Skyrim, like you were saying, and directly feel involved. We've covered on the show immersive theater and, and escape rooms and things like that, but this takes it to a whole new level, in my opinion. There's so much, like like you said, the choose-your-own-adventure-style storytelling of that. It's, it's fascinating to me. But you also have another musical reading coming up that covers <laughs> another... A rather nefarious character that we may or may not cover in a future episode, Jack the Ripper. Well, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, so the story is, uh, or the musical is called The Fallen, A Tale of Jack the Ripper. And when I was writing the show, I, I'm an amateur ripperologist. I love Aren't we all? crime. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. I mean, look at the podcast. <laughs> and... Uh, and so, but I wanted to tell it in a new and interesting way. And so I, uh, I wanted to follow and tell the, the story of the women. I wanted to tell their story. Everyone remembers Jack the Ripper, and he's a very big part of the show because he's what happens to the women. But he is not the story. Uh, it's, it's the women's own personal journeys. We don't hear the name Catherine Eddowes, Elizabeth Stride, Martha Tabram, Annie Chapman, Polly Nichols, uh, Mary Kelly, we, we don't hear their names as much as we hear Jack the Ripper. So I wanted to tell their stories and perhaps shine a light onto what life was like during, you know, Victorian era England in the East End, and also shine the light on victims. We wanted to make sure that the names of the women were said. So we named every song that they sing after them. Polly's song, Mary Kelly's theme, Kate and Lizzie's story, right? We make sure that we say their names because they are often forgotten. And when I write a musical, I always, I always refer to one phrase. If I can, or one phrase or one word. Uh, for with, uh, Off the Beaten Path, it was reflection. So reflecting humanity and society. For The Fallen, it's Remember. And so we wanted to tell their stories. That's so brilliant because I mean, you, you hear, especially nowadays with 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 modern killers and whatnot, we remember the names of these killers, but very rarely do we remember the names of the victims they tormented. And to hear it from their point of view and make Jack almost more of a force of nature that's in the background looming over them, but you're very much focused on them. That I love that aspect of it that there's so much humanity to glean from that and I, God, I'm, ex I'm excited to see it to be honest with you but with all this talk of musicals I, I i mean i think it's time that i ask you the inevitable question tory doctor which villain have you chosen 
Well, you know, I, I had a long career in musical theater and I played a lot of, of characters on both sides of the, the aisle, both protagonist and antagonist. Uh, but I had to settle, as soon as I knew that this was happening, this event, this podcast, I was like, who, who do I know inside and out? And I had to settle on my villain being Javert from Les Miserables. Now bring me prisoner 24601. Your time is up and your parole's begun. You know what that means. Yes, it means I'm free. No, it means you get your yellow ticket of leave. You are a thief. I stole a loaf of you bread. You robbed the house. I broke a window pane. My sister's child was close to death, and we were starving. You will starve again unless you learn the meaning of the law. I know the meaning of those 19 years, a slave of the law. Five years of what you did, the rest because you tried to run. Yes, 24601. My name is Jean Valjean. And I'm a shepherd. Do not forget my name. Do not forget me. Two, four, six, oh, one. Boy, we love our Victor Hugo foils on this show. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, why Javert? Yeah, that's a really good question. I had the fortunate opportunity to work with Cameron McIntosh. Well, not Cameron McIntosh, but his people. I'm playing Javert. So years ago, I... Uh, was hired by Gene and Ryan and Cameron McIntosh to do a truncated version of Cameron's Hey Mr. Producer. Oh. Uh, and so it was, yeah, it was Phantom, Les Mis, Cats, Miss Saigon, all these, all these shows all in one. So we did uh, segments of each. And I got to go from Javert into Chris from Saigon, which is roles that are so <laughs> polar opposite. Yeah, that, that tracks. <laughs> um, and uh, from from baritone to to uh, tenor, oh. it was it was quite the experience. But I was uh, I was fortunate to work with some wonderful wonderful actors, some wonderful directors, and getting to sink my teeth into that role even if it's just a truncated version, was just incredible. I saw the, the show from a new angle. I saw the character from a new angle. And I thought it would be ideal to bring it to you today. The, the Javert is an interesting choice because I personally would categorize him as an antagonist more than a villain based on his wants and his needs. Now, do you think Javert is justified in going to such lengths to pursue Jean Valjean? Oh, that's a really good question. Tory Doctor says no, because for, for Javert, law enforcement is a religion. And any religion that becomes radicalized, I think, goes too far. And, and that was Javert's religion. It was, it was justice. It was the law, right? And, and so, no, I don't feel that he was just, which is, I think, what makes him a villain. And I think he comes to that realization throughout the show, that he can't live in a world where everything and i think i feel like i'm getting a little bit ahead of myself but he truly was the radicalized police officer uh and we see that in society today right we see oh, certainly. a lot yeah uh, george floyd 
Um, I'm sure that that man that was on George Floyd's neck, that, oh, I just, I can't get that image out of my head. Mm. He was, he was standing by his religion of law enforcement and w- without seeing the gray areas in between. And, and hopefully he will pay the ultimate price for, for that act. But yeah, I think, uh, that's what made, that's what makes him, he is an antagonist. Absolutely. But I think his realization that he is a villain is what shakes his world. Interesting. Now, all right. Now, in a previous episode, we covered Frollo from The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and we kind of tapped into it with his character. But since Javert is a bit more of an embodiment of this idea, and we kind of touched on it a little bit, what would you say is Hugo's perspective on justice? I think he's trying to point out that even though justice is often perceived as black and white it isn't nothing is as simple as black and white and it's not a it's not a dichotomy it's not this or that and so hugo i believe in les mis was was telling a story of shades of gray as a matter of fact before the the penultimate thing that javert does before the end uh of his story is javert wrote the higher ups in the police office saying how they should change the laws around policing. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's been a while since I've, I've read the book, but I think that was, <laughs> I think that might've been Hugo preaching to us a bit. Right? I think needless to say, <laughs> I think he's like, that's, that's where he got, gets on his pulpit and says, these are the changes we should make to society and policing. And uh, and he does it beautifully. He does it in a beautiful character, absolutely, in a beautiful story that is devastating. And then, I mean, and we talk about shades of gray, but I mean, the show is literally called "Miserable People." Yes, and so <laughs> and so the whole show lives within that gray. Uh, now, I this is where I admit how much of a fraud I am to the music theater scene when I say I have never actually seen the show. I've only listened to the cast recording, which. Is a travesty, I know. <laughs> no, I, I remember specifically, God, I think my mother had a copy of the original 1985 London cast. Right. And I remember listening to that recording and, I mean, being blown away by it. Not understanding at, you know, six years old what the hell they were talking about, but I was like, this these songs sound awesome, but I don't know what they mean. <laughs> Gavroche sounds like a dope dude. <laughs> but uh i mean that that's just where my brain was at at that time are there from what you can tell any major differences between the novel and the show the, you know what um they're pretty faithful they which is why the show was so long uh but, <laughs> but there there are a bunch of minor characters that have that have been cut out but the show is 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 quite faithful to the book uh, i will say in your defense there are a number of shows that I have not seen because he, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is the life that we live. We are professional actors, and as a result, we feel like we're going to work on Halloween. Uh, so we don't often dress up. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and on our days off, we don't want to go to the theater no. because it's our one day off. God, that's <laughs> like my parents are always like, hey, uh, we're going to watch Glee tonight. You want to do it? I'm like, No! No, I just got done from school. I don't want to watch this right now. I just lived this shit. I just, I, I, 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it's funny. I, I love theater. Uh, I hate going to theater because inevitably you'll, you'll all of a sudden start to talk shop with people mm -hmm. and you, because you'll see you'll see directors you'll see producers you'll see other actors you'll see uh stage uh management you know running to the booth you'll see front of house people and 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 as much as i love people and love connecting i don't want to go to work on my night off no. <laughs> <laughs> my kids hate me during halloween not so much anymore because i'm semi-retired and, and so i will make an effort from time to time on halloween to go out in in costume but you know we did that i did that for 28 years eight shows a week getting into costume and getting into makeup i did cats for goodness sake and I, anytime i put on makeup it's uh, ptsd of rum tum tugger makeup on the face <laughs> <laughs> oh there have been god i mean I, I i would have loved to have seen what you would have done with this role but and i know that there have been there's a huge list of just exemplary actors who have portrayed Javert over the yeah, years. Yeah. Are there, in your opinion, any particular standouts? You know, there's um, there's an actor named Earl Carpenter who, man, the first time I saw him, he embodied everything I thought Javert was. I highly recommend finding him doing Javert's soliloquy on YouTube. It's it's really quite stunning. It's, uh, it's a masterclass in acting, and it's a vocal performance that you won't soon forget. And of course, Philip Quast from Australia, his, uh, his version on the 10th anniversary recording, just simply, simply incredible. The, some of the choices that he makes are so simple that they're absolutely devastating. And, and yeah, that, that may be Trevor Nunn's interpretation and direction of Philip, but you, you marry the two of them together and it's, it's truly, truly wonderful. Recently, um, an actor, uh, Merwin Ford, who played Javert on the Canadian, I believe it was the first Canadian tour, passed away. So my condolences to him and his family and the, the Canadian theatre community who lost a wonderful man. It was interesting because when I saw it, I, I saw it on tour and I was, I fell in love with the cast and I was, I was astounded. And then my first audition, there was the cast of Les Mis auditioning for the same show I was auditioning for at 17. It was, it was truly an amazing Ooh, wow. experience. Uh, but yeah, I think Earl Carpenter is, is my favorite. Philip Quast, uh, Terrence Mann. Naturally. Yeah, beautiful, <laughs> beautiful voice, beautiful voice. And uh, and he also played Rum Tum Tugger on the original Broadway cast. Of course and, he did. Of course and, he did. <laughs> and, uh, and The Beast in Beauty and the Beast. Yes. Um, just brilliant, brilliant. But I, I, those are my favorites for sure. Oh, yeah. Now, I... I think the first real adaptation, other than the than listening to the cast recording, the first real adaptation of the story I had seen was the Liam Neeson movie with Jeffrey Rush as Javert. Oh, right. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that one, I think that was, and it was not the musical, it was just a straight-up adaptation of the novel. And that, I think that was the first performance I'd ever seen of it. And I was just like, this is great. <laughs> he really kind of dove into it there. Jeffrey Rush is one of those actors that every time you see him on screen, it's just I you just take notes because it's so it's so beautiful and it's so it's so grounded and real. So even when his he makes his big choices, it's it's based in reality. So you're along with him for the ride. I've always said that uh, acting is reacting, good acting is reacting in line and congruent with everything that the audience knows up until that time, and then great acting is is um is reacting in a way that's everything uh that the audience and, and the character knows up until that moment in time 
but with interesting choices. Absolutely. Those interesting choices are the ones that, you know, you never want the audience to look away. And Jeffrey Rush, every single time, doesn't matter what he's playing or who he's playing, uh, his choices are always interesting. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I'm a huge Jeffrey Rush fan, so kudos to him. Why do you think Les Miserables still affects people to this day? What is it about that story that really resonates to modern audiences? Oh, well... <laughs> it's a show that has everything. Uh, it has love. It has it has combat, stage combat. It's got incredible music. It's got a phenomenal set. The original set with, on the turntable and the barricade coming down is is wonderful. And yet the 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 topics are so incredibly modern, which really means that the the topics are historic. And as we we talk about. Black Lives Matter uh, at the moment and protests and the student revolutionaries. Many Americans are, are, are having a revolution against a peaceful, mostly peaceful revolution uh, against the U.S. government. And, and so I feel that th the show is timeless because it does, it, it deals with, and I say this in Off the Beaten Path, the two certain things in life are death and the search for unconditional love. Lemis deals with that times 10 and then the topics on top of that. So, uh, and then the music is so incredibly sweeping and mm -hmm. catchy and like master of the house is the herpes of musical theater. You can't <laughs> get that out of your head. <laughs> once, once it's, it's in it, there. It's, it's one thing I'm actually proud to have is, is that level. <laughs> In times of stress, it'll come out. If you don't sleep, you'll all of a sudden be singing Master of the House. You know, it's... I'm never going to get that out of my head now. Final thoughts. What does Javert mean to you personally? Out of every villain you could have chosen, whether it's, you know, it's, it's from film, from television, from, from comics, from novels, from all sorts of things, this was the person you chose. And you kind of discussed it a little bit that this was a character that you had played, but out of all of that, why specifically? What what does he mean to you? Uh, that's a really good question. I um, during my uh, <laughs> my first divorce, my only divorce. <laughs> Sorry, Brad. <laughs> Sorry, she's a divorce lawyer. I'm so screwed. Oh! Anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, no, but during during my divorce. You only get one chance to do things right. And so I went to child psychologists to talk about my children and, and, and what they're experiencing. And the child psychologist talked about from the age of being born up until about 12, your parents are considered, you, you consider your parents superheroes. They are, you are hardwired to believe that your parents are infallible, which is why we have all these arguments on the playgrounds, you know, my dad can beat up your dad, my mom's better than your mom. You know, it's it's throughout history, that's the way that we're hardwired. And so Javert didn't get that. And Javert was born inside of a jail where he was living with murderers uh, and the dregs of society and cut purses and cut throats and, and the worst. And his parents were amongst them. And he saw them for the, the, the broken people that they were. And we are supposed to see our parents as, as infallible, and he saw them as 
broken. And he, he swore an oath to always follow the light, to always follow the law. And because he saw that they broke the law, and so it's because of this that we are living in this squalor, that we are living in this, in this hell. And he wanted to get out of that, and so he fervently followed the law, which then became God must be the law because the law, when broken, ends up as evil. And it was his religion. And like any religion, if you, I, I said it before, if you become so fervent, if you become so radicalized that you only follow the rule and the law, then you can't see the humanity. God is not the law. The law is written by men. God wrote his own law, and that law is, is, is humanity, love, compassion, connection. All of these things that Javert lacked. And it was only then when he started to realize that it's love and humanity and connection that uh, is God's rule, that he couldn't live in that world anymore. His core, oh, my, my dogs are very excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, go, dad, tell them. You got this. <laughs> but when Javert realized that, he realized that he was part of the problem and that it wasn't the law that God put down that we should follow. He realized he was following man's law, and in doing so, he didn't follow God's law of love and connection and compassion. And his core beliefs were shaken so much that he couldn't live in that world anymore. He couldn't live in a world where he realized he was part of the problem. When he saw the compassion that uh, Valjean had for Marius, when he saw the compassion in his eyes, when he said, you're a free man, go. He had every right to kill him because that was the law. He couldn't, he couldn't come to terms with that. And as a result, he took his own life because he could not believe who he was. And he saw himself finally as the villain to bring it full circle. <laughs> God, this has been such an incredible conversation about Javert. Thank you so much, Tori, for joining us on the show. It's been my absolute pleasure. You, I, I love you as a human. I adore working with you, and I would love to talk to you all the times. Well, I'm always around. <laughs> no, it's it's always great. And and honestly, when I was first coming up with this podcast, I was like. I've got to really want to get him on the show because I bet he'd have something really cool to talk about. <laughs> and you delivered. And th this has been great. Thank you. It's been an absolute joy. And maybe, just maybe one day, people will be talking about the villains in Off the Beaten Path. Oh, God. Well, let, let, let's let's hope we can get to that point at some at, at s further on down the line. <laughs> Sooner rather than later, though. So remember, friends, on October 17th at 8 p.m. Eastern, there will be an all-star virtual performance of Off the Beaten Path with a special villainous appearance by yours truly. For information on it, I'm going to leave a link in the description below. I'm also going to leave a link for the Actors Fund in the description. If any of you feel any sort of inclination, please donate. There are a lot of struggling folks out there in the entertainment world that are lost and afraid right now, and anything you can spare would truly make a difference to them. 
Thank you to Ross Lampert for composing the theme song of this podcast. He's a brilliant dude, and if you're in the market for any sort of music production needs, head on over to his website at daggerandink.com. And thank you, listener, for carving out a little bit of time for us today. If you like the show, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Villainology Podcast, and give us a review if you like what we're doing. If you don't like what we're doing, send us to someone else so they can hate it just as much, if not more, and drop us a comment on who you would like to see discussed next. And hopefully we'll see you next time. Stay foolish, mortals. Ha 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 